You're listening to 3CR Radio. You're in your face on 3CR with James, joined by Mama Elto. Hello. You're an amazing singer. I oh, absolutely you. loved an audience with Billie Holiday. Oh, I watched some of the so tracks on, on, on YouTube. So you are so yes. busy. Yeah, it, that's the life of a diva. <laughs> so you betrayed Billie Holiday and obviously you really connected with her. Yes. Why was that? Well, uh, Billie Holiday has always been one of my favourite uh, yeah. singers yep. because she has such a magnificent pathos and such a wonderful way of balancing and expressing the mixture of triumph and tragedy, of joy and sorrow. That is really at the heart of what it is to be human. And um, she defied any kind of stereotyping because a lot of people would look at her and as a person who lived in multiple marginalities, as a racialized minority, as a sexualized minority, as a gendered minority. Nowadays they call it intersections. Yeah, intersections. Um, of course, the theory from the great Kimberly Crenshaw of intersectionality. But as a person who lived at all of those different intersections and who would be stereotyped by society... She used her art to resist that and speak back to that in such a powerful way. So not only her musicality I loved, but also that that philosophy and ethos behind the art. But that that was um that was two or three years ago now that show. Yes, it's almost which like wonderful. It's almost like you've transcended into into something else now. Tell us how it kind of just fits because it seems to that your upcoming shows are kind of a natural progression from Billie Holiday. I think so. I think, of course, any any performing artist or singer or musician, their they, their shows have an evolution from where at the very start of your career you're clinging very closely to your influences or your inspirations and sometimes, like in that case, portraying them in the theatre. And then as you evolve more, you bring more and more of yourself to it. So it's less about seeing what you relate to in someone else and more about it's like an archaeology of the self, looking at your own identity, looking at what's important to you and about how sharing that and taking what's on the inside and putting it on the outside to its most most fabulous, most sparkly, most out there, most whatever it is, you know, can then help others. So storytelling is a big part of your yeah. shows. Yeah. Well, Tell us as how a, that works. As a cabaret performer who works in the cabaret more now rather than in strictly music venue or strictly capital T theatre. Cabaret has this wonderful layered effect where through the storytelling you are on the very surface you're performing the song and you know it might be pretty music or it might be vocal pyrotechnics or something that's great to listen to on a surface level. And then at a level underneath that, you're telling and bringing something of yourself and your life and your identity and your lived experiences into the music. And so audience members might come in and say, oh, this is pretty music, this is great, or this is sexy night out, or I'm enjoying this on that level. They might then delve a little deeper and see that actually what the singer is is telling and singing on the stage has a bearing on their life and times. And, and then at a deeper level again... On 
an audience with Billy Holiday, and he's a former politician. So any any narrative that he writes is going to have a strong yes, political yes. bent. So you're no stranger to politics in your work. No, no. Well, that was so three years ago. I did that show, but before that, I was doing my own independent work, which these ones are as well, and always bringing that politic because the third level of the cabaret, underneath those two levels is that what you're actually doing is telling a story that's about the audience and about their lived lives and experiences and maybe affirming something that they do and um, affirming their lived experiences as valid in whatever their identity is or maybe confronting something that they're doing that is actually harmful to other people. You're working with Miss Chief in the upcoming show. How did you two get together? So she's a wonderful pianist and... uh, Me and her have been working together now for seven years. Almost all of my shows have been with her. And um, she's a magnificent jazz-trained pianist. She learnt from jazz greats, including Steve Sedegreen and Monique Di Martina. And we met at, it was this jam session that used to run, it was this freezing cold brick warehouse in um, in the northern part of Melbourne, near Latrobe Street, where all of those old industrial buildings are, and those wind tunnels, and those wind tunnels, and it was it was so cold always. And during the day, it was an art gallery, um, this big converted warehouse space. Just all the brick walls had been whitewashed, and and so then they would hang things on them. And it was an art gallery by day. And then at night, it was a jazz jam session every Friday night. So great acoustics in there. Yeah. And just inexplicably, there was this Steinway nine-foot grand piano in the middle of the room and a little gas heater. And that was it. That was kind of all that was there. Wow. And um, I used to sing there and jam with some people. And she used to sing there and jam with some people and play the piano. And... uh, and then one day, I think it was there, they had a little Christmas function and I was singing something and she came up to me after singing. She said, oh, I really want to work with you. This is great. So we started at the South Melbourne Butterfly Club together doing cabaret performances there. And then um, it just all took off from there. From there, we were invited to do the Melbourne Fringe Festival, which we did at the Butterfly Club, and then the Melbourne Cabaret Festival. And then things just kept happening. So here we are. So what's Seven your favourite festival? Oh, that's such a political question. It's that's political, really? I, yeah, really? you know, the politics of selecting a favourite. Because all of these festivals really have beautiful core teams of people behind them. And I guess it's really and it's hard actually to the end just that. individuals who work so hard to bring to bring these platforms for artists. But and I've been very lucky to perform at some really incredible festivals. Yeah. The Melbourne Fringe Festival, which the 31st edition of which is coming up this year uh, at the end of September, start of October, is a wonderful festival. The Stonington Jazz Festival, which I absolutely adore. Um, the Castlemaine State Festival, I love. That one's really? fabulous. Because that would be kind of like um, old buildings and big wood fires, I would imagine. Yes, but yeah, yeah. with some of the most contemporary art you could ever And just encounter. a sense of history on the goldfields yes. as well. I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and name I think I have two favorites as so much as everyone else wow. as much as all the others will be heartbroken and offended um especially if they're listening <laughs> um, my two favorite festivals that I've had the privilege of performing at one is the Marysville Jazz and Blues Festival and it will be the it will be the third year this year of the Marysville Jazz and Blues Festival and Marysville of course is a beautiful country town which Burnt down, was completely razed down during the Black Saturday bushfires. On that terrible day. 
And um, when they and the core economy of Marysville was always always tourism um, since the 1930s, and they rebuilt the town entirely after the bushfires, but they were struggling to get tourists to come back, and that was the backbone of this community. So they got together a, a volunteer committee to try and think how can we get Marysville back on people's minds after being shut for business for three years. And they said, what if we host fabulous events? So there's at least one a month, uh, different kinds of events. There's a heritage car rally and there's a, a five-kilometre marathon. And there's and this was working. This was bringing a few people, but it wasn't really having that wow factor. So they said, what if we host a jazz and blues festival and we'll invite some of our favourites who we've seen in Melbourne and Sydney and Castlemaine and Bendigo to come and perform in Marysville. So we got invited to play there with another, with the, we did a Billie Holiday show at Melbourne Recital Centre that I wrote and put together where we celebrated 100 years of Billie Holiday. And one of the people from the committee was in the audience, as well as Miss Chief's family coming from Buxton outside of Marysville. So they got in touch with us and said, would you come and bring that show exclusively to Marysville? And that will be the only other place other than the Recital Centre where people can see so we did that, and it was a fabulous two-day festival, heaps of artists from Melbourne and Sydney, and it was the first weekend since the fires that every bed and breakfast, every motel, every caravan park, every hotel in the Marysville region was booked out, which is what it always was. So we've been back every year, and we're going back this October to that, and um, you know, it's an amazing story of how this community came together and started using art and culture to rebuild their economy, you know, from the disaster. Yeah, that, that, so that's that one of my favourite festivals because it's so special, you know, and there's a great joy to it of a community coming together, which is what a festival should be. My other favourite was the Havana International Festival in Cuba. I was going to say, which um, me and Miss Chief, as part of Finnecane and Smith, who we work with a lot. So you work with Maura Finnecane? Yes, wow. we've been what working with like? Maura for four years now. Wow, we're company members of the Glory Box. And we went over there to headline the Havana International Festival. She's almost got a salsa thing happening sometimes, doesn't she? Yeah. So she, in her early performing arts career, she had a lot of attention in Latin America and she performed some of her biggest shows have been over there. And so and being raised Irish Catholic, the Catholicism, the ritual, the matriarchy, the ideas around the Virgin Mary, the ideas around the feminine as holy but also grotesque, that really collided with her interest in burlesque. So she's had a strong Latin American connection. And then when she was invited to Havana, she called me and she said, have you got your passport ready? She said, I said, oh, where are we going? Havana. I said, oh, wow. And off we went. Speaking of politics and political places. Wow. Mm, Havana. So yeah. what, were the, what were the audiences like there? The audience, we had a beautiful audience every night for two weeks, 400 people a night um, in this 1958 cabaret club. And was that before Obama's visit Which or after? Was, it was just before. Wow. It was just, it was so two years ago. there would have been some ago. optimism as well? There was a lot of optimism. There was a lot of uncertainty about what that would mean. Um, so, you know, at the time there were still a lot of embargoes. So we were, as festival performers, we were employees of the Cuban government and they came to get us through customs because there's still a lot of embargoes about who can travel in and out and what you can bring with you. And But the festival itself was amazing because the culture there... There's a kind of underground of 
undercurrent, I should say, of religious culture that is descended from medieval Spanish Catholicism that mm. prioritizes the Virgin Mary as more interesting than, say, the Holy Trinity, as well as these religious elements that have blended syncretically with it from West Africa, which look at the five river spirits, the Orisha, who are these powerful feminine divinities, and um, combined with native Taino indigenous Cuban beliefs about the matriarchy and the transferal of power down the female line. So a voodoo kind of element Mm. in there as well. But something that really prioritises the feminine Mm. and the ritualistic and the performative ritual, which in a way is very sympathetic to what the glory box is about, which is about femininity in all of its forms and powers. So they just really got the glory box, you know. As soon as we were were there trying to explain with the aid of our two translators what the show was – People just got it, and they responded in a very generous generous and beautiful way during the performances because they just got that sometimes an audience in Australia to try and get them on that journey with you in the glory box where they recognise that femininity exists as this huge mosaic or this huge spectrum and that can contain many identities and many ideas and many philosophies and and many aspects, be that traditional ones like delicacy and maternity or less traditional in the Western canon ideas of the grotesque or the powerful or the strong. Or, you know, sometimes Western audiences need, need you to hold their hands a little bit to get that. But because of this culture in Havana um, to do with the Black Madonna and to do with the Orisha and to do with matriarchies, they were on board from the start. So that was a really interesting experience. And one of the songs from that performance that we did in Cuba, which um, which won um, the Hamako Award for the Best International Touring Hamako Production. Awards. So the Hamako Awards, they're the Cuban equivalent of the American Tony Awards. Wow. And the Finnegan and Smith Tour to Cuba, which we were on, won the award for Best International Production. But one of the songs that we did in that um, in that tour and in the glory box, Wild is the Wind, which um, Miss Chief and I do our own version, is one of the highlights of this show that we're doing at the National Theatre um, on September 2nd, um, which is the National Theatre commissioned us to come along and as part of their season program do a gala performance to try and bring... Because it's a beautiful heritage space. It's absolutely gorgeous. And they wanted us to not just perform in the auditorium, but also bring the foyers to life with this Jazz Age cocktail party that will be part of the evening as it well as our performances. Yeah, but they wanted some of our best moments as well as some new moments. So in our program of songs throughout the night, we've got... Some of them are highlights from the last seven years for us, like this Wild is the Wind moment that we had in Cuba... And then other ones are new interpretations where we've taken pop songs and soul songs but rendered them into our jazz cabaret style. So I'm really looking forward to it. You're listening to 3CR Radio. So for me, just by being who I am, by being a trans and gender diverse person, by being a queer person, by being a mixed race person, so many issues that are political are also personal. So if someone is coming to see me sing and expecting not to get any political messages, whether they're implicit or very explicit, I think that's misguided because it overlooks the idea that what is personal is by necessity political. 
And if someone feels that the personal and the political don't ever collide in that way, they have a great privilege because they're in a group who is protected and normalised and cushioned by social norms. So if they can't see that, it's often the duty of artists to make them see that. You know, people will receive a political message through art much more readily than they might through lectures or protests or someone being very didactic. Art has a way of opening people's souls up, you know, opening up their rib cages and getting to their heart so that it's a communication between two human hearts rather than a battle of ideologies, something much bigger. So, of course, in in all my upcoming performances, that will be a through thread because how can somebody come and expect entertainment from someone who does not have the same rights as them? You know, it's exactly the same situation as during civil rights. People would pay to see Sarah Vaughan or Nina Simone or Aretha Franklin, but despite receiving entertainment from them, would still believe that they were an inferior type of human being. Which takes us full circle to Billie Holiday because that's Mm. what she was transcending and singing about. And that art of, of torch singing, of cabaret performance... Is, a, is always about those identity and, and political layers within songs. It's never just about a pretty song. It's ultimately about a form of very open and vulnerable communication. Mama Elto, thank you so much for joining me. I love your spirit. Thank and, you. And uh, your show sounds absolutely awesome. 3CR And I can't stand that I must throw to break the backbone of this house And I can't stand inside of the lies you tell to explain the world to me And you push me away And you fly, you don't fly, this is all it Break me Whether it be silence and darkness As long as I can see I am on my own Nobody knows But I need to break the law When my heart's in pieces
Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Peter Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Telangy Treehouse. As you said, I'm going to the East West Channel kick it, as it usually does start at 5.30am. Uh, the Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians... In order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377 now. We are In Your Face on 3CR with James. And before that promo, we heard from Thea Riley, Heart in Pieces. And the artist herself, Thea Riley, joins us on the line. Thea, welcome to 3CR. Hi, James. What a beautiful track, Heart in Pieces. Tell us about what was going on for you when you wrote that. Uh, Sure, thank you. Um, Look, it is a pretty... I wouldn't say it's a happy song, but... um, I feel like everybody has those times in life where you sort of need to break to, like, be whole again, to, like, just just to continue your life. And, you know, that's sort of what was happening. And the song just came naturally. It wasn't something that I sat down and intended to write, which I feel like it turned out a lot better for that happening. <laughs> Spontaneity, perhaps. Yeah. It sounds like it kind of wrote itself. It did a little bit, yeah. There was definitely darker sources in my life, I feel, you know, when that was happening. But, yeah, it's it's interesting having the distance from the track, like three or six months down the line and seeing that things actually turn out okay. So, yeah. Wow, <laughs> it sounds like there's been quite a journey the last six months. Yes. Well, I mean, really, it's like the last three years. I transitioned, the, so many changes get thrown at you and you've got to like, uh, I guess it's like you either have to step up or and learn or, you know, it'll get the better of you. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. It sounds like there's been so many experiences thrown at you and you mentioned learning mm-hmm. things. Like what are some of those lessons that have been learnt? I think definitely self-sufficiency is something that comes with... You know, it's a big period of change. A lot of people will come and go from your life in that time. So I think self-sufficiency is probably the the greatest thing I've learned from it. You know, not discounting the value of friends and community, but like, you know, when you're doing it tough in that area and you have self-sufficiency, you know, you can help yourself out. (laughs) I think that's pretty valuable. So tell us about yourself for listeners who aren't familiar with your amazing body of work. I know you're based in Newcastle. Sure, yeah. I'm in Newcastle. Pretty much been there all my life. I think uh, I did, I went to America for a little bit, but it was really just trying to follow my music wherever it took me, and that was sort of something that was happening there. And I, I feel like I've been a pretty spontaneous artist the last six years, although I didn't even realize looking back that I've written 19 tracks for trans DJs over the years. So I've I've really accidentally sort of made that part of my, you know, artist presentation. But now I think I'm moving in more of a solo direction. So, you know, it started the the trance thing, started naturally and ending naturally. And I'm, yeah, 
I don't know, my life is very quick to change. So I feel like I'm the kind of person where I feel like my <laughs> like my next three months is pretty much just me, you know, learning to adapt to whatever whatever comes. I mean, there's Christmas. I'm really looking forward to taking, <laughs> taking a break. <laughs> I am. You've had some incredible collaborations and I'm not surprised it's tired you out because you have worked with quite a few people. Uh, who's your, who's your favourite? Tell us about your favourite collaboration. I think I would say there's this song called On The Way You Go that I actually, I didn't say for a long time what was it about, what what it was about, but I wrote it at the very beginning of my transition when I wasn't sure and um, I sent this vocal that I'd recorded actually in my bathroom at the time on my handheld recorder and it was like a really rough idea and I sent it to Giuseppe Ottaviani and he's an Italian DJ and uh, he took that recording actually from my little handheld device and just put it straight into the song. I didn't have to re-record anything. So it's the kind of songs that I appreciate where they happen organically and, you know, they come from the heart. You know, people can tell when something's not genuine and that song for me is, you know, (laughs) it's been life-changing because then I did go in transition and I haven't, you know, I'm still alive and I'm doing pretty well. Tell us about the realisation when you discovered your voice. That must have been an amazing moment. Sure. I guess there's a couple of different moments considering my transition, but I, I do remember the first time I sang, I was with my sister and we used to sing duet because we grew up in a church that was all uh, singing no music bit culty, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, we just sang in church and we would sing, you know, Bible songs together. And, um, you know, eventually I got older and my voice broke and I didn't sing as much till around 17. And one of my friends got me back into it. So it's, I feel like I didn't think that my voice was mine because I was living as a, you know, as a, as a guy. And <laughs> to hear a man's singing voice come out of you when you identify as female is not the nicest thing. So I kept going with music. Because I love music, you know, I need it in my life. But I really found my voice after transition. And I would say only recently, like in the last six months, I went and got singing lessons and I really, ugh, it's just another thing to learn. I wish I could say something different, but that's literally all that I've been doing. It's just like learning and experiencing new things. Wow. So what are you working on musically at the moment? Like what's got your attention like today, for example, or this week? Well, this week... Um, I just released a short film, actually, for one of my songs. So that's probably what where my brain's at. Do tell. Um, tell us some more about that. Sure, yeah. It was my first acting experience. It made me really... I really enjoyed myself and I sort of realised it's something I would like to do a lot more of. So, you know, this short film is a part of three different videos. There's two more to come. One's a prequel, one's a sequel, and it's a spy action thriller. So... Yeah, we made it in four months. It was all like friends of friends and, uh, you know, and my friend uh, Hamish is a very good mentor to me and helped me, you know, those times that I've come out to sort of like assimilate better. And yeah, I don't know. It's a great piece of work, I think, that I got, you know, again, to expand my uh, skill set with, I guess, self-sufficiency too, because, you know, during that four months, there was only about five days where we had shooting and we had other people around. But like, when everyone else was gone, you know, at the end of the day, it was me making this short film (laughs) that just felt a bit daunting, daunting, but um, it's the end of four months now. And uh, it looks really good. If you just search Shoulder of Our Town and Peter Riley into YouTube, it should pop right up for you. (laughs) 
you're no stranger to making awesome music videos. We posted one on our Twitter feed that was pretty amazing, got some great feedback about it. What's in the wings for you as far as music videos are concerned in the future? Oh, definitely storyline of these next short films to come in the series. Oh, there's more um, short films. That's great. Yes, there's a lot of personal stuff, especially in the prequel. Uh, oh, it's so hard. I can't say anything, but I really want oh, to. Oh, why not? But, <laughs> I'm so sorry. But yeah, no, those will be next year. I'm going to say March and August. So it's a long way away yet because, you know, the self-sufficiency thing. And yeah, but I'm getting there. And there'll be some pretty and just aesthetically pleasing music videos, which are much easier to make coming sooner than that. So that's probably what you'll see next. I want to do um, a video, actually, for the song I mentioned before with Giuseppe, which is On The Way You Go, that I wrote that transition. So that's probably the one that will be coming out soon. So maybe maybe February for that one, just because I want to take a good Christmas break, you know, <laughs> when you... <laughs> When you have a lot on, you value your downtime. So from Newcastle, what's the queer music scene like there? Is it flourishing or is it a bit isolating for you? Oh, good question. Look, I really retreated when I transitioned uh, with my music, I mean. So um, I actually haven't been on stage yet since I transitioned. So it's a big, daunting thing, another thing for me to sort of like overcome and figure out. Are we going to see you on stage in 2020? It's a goal, but... I, I want to say maybe, <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a pretty welcoming scene here, and Sydney even more so. You know, being just an hour and a bit away is also full of opportunity. Yeah, there's really a burgeoning, flourishing queer music scene in Sydney. Uh, who are some of the mm. artists that you like the most? Who should people listen to? Oh, from local musicians or just me personally, because I have a lot of. Love personally that well, I could definitely queer stop. Sydney musicians. Who should people queer be Sydney checking musicians. out? Are oh there any? Oh, there definitely is, but I I think there's a lot of them that don't talk about their sexuality as well. So I actually don't know, you know, how they identify. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'll need to look into that one more. I've been a bit isolated making this video, so I'm really not as up to speed as I should be. So, Thea, we're going to wind up with a track of yours uh, called We'll Be Okay. It is a collaboration that you did with Eldo Henrico. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that collaboration. Sure. So, when I was in America, I had a marriage that I was having trouble with, and I wrote the song called We'll Be Okay, and um, pretty self-explanatory, really. Just a, just a lovely, melancholy song. And I sent it to Aldo. He heard it and he loved it. And, um, yeah, there's two different versions out now, two years later. And a music video. Oh, I can't say that yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, but you have. <laughs> oh, I have. Okay. <laughs> but that's not out yet. Okay. <laughs> awesome Gosh. stuff. Well, we're going to enjoy this track. Thea Riley, thank you so much for talking to us today on 3CR. And keep welcome. us posted. And we hope to see you in Melbourne on stage.
Listening to 3CR Community Radio. And uh, Simo Sue is in the studio with me. Welcome to 3CR. It's awesome having you here. Ah, uh, cheers. Thanks for having me. You have a real talent for, for writing lyrics. Oh, I imagine that a lot of your inspiration comes from people you meet out in the, in the rapping scene, in the clubbing scene. I mean, you're a DJ, you're a promoter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's a bit of internet action happening there too. Uh, yeah, for sure. Are they p- random people or, or people that you know quite well? Uh, both. I mean, and myself, who I, myself, I know well and not so well as well. But, uh, yeah, like, I like picking up on, like, kind of little things that people say. I have, like, notes. Like, I was going to ask you that. in my phone. So. So you, <laughs> are you one of these note takers that writes them down quickly after they happen or do you do it, like, the, the next day and... Oh, no, let, I do it, I do no. it straight away. <laughs> like I'll just yeah straight away straight into my phone. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> now I read a piece that said that your new record "Everything Is Going to Be Okay" is the sound of an artist in recovery, removed from their home base. To what extent do you think that's accurate? C- completely, I suppose. Like, yeah. like I, I, I started. Like I moved from Sydney to here, uh, and I was staying like my my uh, with my my brother and my mom, uh, my brother's wife uh, in like Woodend. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't have a job or, or any money or anything. I was just like making this album, uh, and it's kind of in the middle of the, in the middle of the woods. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I was just like kind of on my own, just with the internet and scary woods around me. So lots of loneliness <laughs> in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I had the internet, but like, uh, yeah, no, for sure. Like loneliness is definitely a big part of the record. Now, I read one review that said that uh, this is the sound of a brutally honest and totally fucking weird artist, unafraid to push boundaries and create their own sound. You must have been happy with that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty, like... Do you think it's yeah. true? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't really care about... Uh... I mean, I make hip-hop, but, like, I, I think the essence of hip-hop is, like, you, you take from any genre, you don't really... You just kind of push things. I mean, like, the beginning of hip-hop was boundary pushing and experimental so should keep you know within the, the yes, it sounds like you're a bit over hip-hop no 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 uh i i think i think it's more about bringing uh putting those things into it and filtering it through a hip-hop lens i, th- I think like when i used to like when i started i made more like electronic punk music i suppose when i started um but i think and I, I think I just called it that because I didn't think that I could rap as well as I could. It's interesting because, um, you know, you have been defined by, by some writers as, as a punk artist. Sure. But how on earth do you define punk in the 21st century? That's true. I how mean, would you define it? I, I think punk is hip-hop now. Really? <laughs> like, like, you, you kind of look at, like, is, even, like, pop pop artists are kind of punk now. Like, you you look at, like... Or R&B. A lot yeah. of pop's R&B. Yeah, for sure. Like, like uh, 
you know, the whole kind of not caring about convention or genre or, yeah, I don't know. I, I think punk is just doing whatever you want to do. And, and I think and there's an aesthetic to it. Uh, but I think the the mohawk and, you know, studded jacket, as cool as that is, you know, has changed to something else. We've moved on from the Sex Pistols. Sure. So how would you describe Australian punk music? Uh, I mean, it's pretty varied. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, like uh, I, I think within, like, punk community stuff, I'm a bit, like, outside of that. Like, like um, you know, I have his friends in, like, queer punk bands that are really cool. And, like, uh, noise bands and stuff. But, like, I guess the more pop punk and the bro kind of punk stuff. I'm, I'm not really that aware of that stuff. But, um, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I, th- I think even, even though, uh, I think I'm rambling, I'm not sure. Um, the <laughs> I think punk's more a spirit now, and I think it, it can be any genre it wants to be. And I think, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> There's a bit of idealism there, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> you worked with the New York rapper Blackheart. What were they like? Uh, he does like really cool, kind of uh, really cool, like uh, video game inspired R and B hip hop. Uh, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> I think it's a bit hard to uh, to lock down in a genre. But uh, you should, yeah, everyone should check him out. He's he's incredible. I was I was searching for some photos of you on the internet, and um, Mama Elto, the local you know soul diva, popped up. Who's a who's a really fantastic, talented singer in her early twenties. Have you heard yeah. of them? No. I think you should work with them. Actually, I think you for should sure? track them down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, let's get back to your lyrics. Sure. Uh, they're pretty amazing. There was one uh, line, or it was a double line, actually, on, on your track, Breath, from the new album. Yeah. Uh, it goes something like, where did my clothes go? They came off when my brain was gone. Yeah. What was the story there? <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, I think that whole song is about, like, a kind of excess and, like, kind of losing your mind a bit and that thing of, like, uh, I mean, clothes is, like, figurative, but it's, like, you know, uh, like like within that like, like that song, I'm listing all these things. Like I'm, you know, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my friends. I'm losing my clothes. I'm losing uh, kind of everything. And, and this idea of like, uh, well, these things connect in some way, or of like your, your belongings, or uh, you know, and I, I guess as well that that idea of getting like blind drunk and waking up naked, you know, on the floor in your room. Or something like that, and I guess that's where it comes in in that part. But like, I think the, the song is like you know a, a, a checklist of things that you lose as you lose you know your mind. Your lyrics also challenge the dominant paradigms that float around in in society. And in sure. in the track High, you talk no. about the guy who thinks he's got the big dick with the pissed sure. girlfriend, no. uh, who doesn't think about his actions, no. uh, and everything's focused on you know cis people doesn't sure. doesn't really question anything beyond that. No. No. Is is that something that you encounter a lot and want to push back against? Oh, for sure, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, like the chorus in it, like I'm saying. Um, you know, this, this will put hairs on your chest, which I remember, like, being a kid and, like, you know, all the male adults around me would be like, you know, you know, eat eat your, your meat or, or, you know, have a sip of beer or something. And it's like, that'll put, like, hairs on your chest, which is like, you know, supposed to make you a man or something. And it's like, I don't really care about that. But it's like this thing that's ingrained in you from a kid, you know, 
do this thing and it'll make you the man. And it's like, what if you don't want to be the man, you know? Yeah. And so do you find there's a lot of gender questioning with your work? Oh, damn, totally. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, like hip hop is like changing so much, but it's like, uh, you know, it's, there's a very mask culture around it, especially when you get into more mainstream hip hop and stuff like that. So, And a lot uh, of violence around hip hop as well. For sure, for sure. Um, and I, I think, I think, I mean, a lot of that I feel like I can't get into, but like. It's interesting because yeah. because that all seems so unnew, but yet as as a performer, sure. you do hip hop so well, as we just yeah. heard from those tracks. Yeah. So just, there's a real kind of contradiction there. Yeah. Well, I, I think as well though, with, with hip hop, I mean, it's like the biggest thing about hip hop is you know, living a truth and, you know, like. And people like you know, Drake gets caught out for not writing his lyrics because it's not real. So, like, if I'm talking about the real me, I'm talking about, you know, uh, anxiety or, like, hyper-masculine culture stuff. And that, that's the real me. So that's that's me being hip-hop, you know. <laughs> your rapping voice, your hip-hop voice is very different from your natural sure. spoken voice. Yeah. Uh, is that because when you're performing, there's kind of like an emotional kind of um, channeling going through that doesn't happen when you're not performing? Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Like, I, Tell I, us about that. I think I'm, like, like I'm the, the, the cliche of like a Gemini. Like I'm kind of chill in real life, but I go on stage and I'm just like wilding out and like, you know, hanging off the rafters and stuff. So I, th- I think <laughs> along with that comes my, my voice. Uh, and I, I kind of, I could grow up playing in punk bands and stuff. So I think it's a takeover of that and like... I do actually want to sing more. Like in my next, the next stuff I do, I want to sing more. But um, yeah, I don't know. That voice just kind of comes out of me. So how old <laughs> were you when you performed in punk bands when you when you first started? Uh, I think it was about like thirteen or something. Wow. Yeah. And where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in like the Blue Mountains of Sydney. Um, really? Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got a hybrid accent. There's almost like there's a North American influence in there. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I mean, I haven't spent that much time there, but but I've I've spent time in like LA and California since I was little and stuff uh and kind of you know I, I think I think as well like growing up in like western Sydney and the Blue Mountains like where it's like I, th- I think I adopted this voice that like pushed back against this kind of bogan accent that was all around me I guess in a way uh yeah I don't know yeah your childhood sounds like it would have given you a lot to kind of, you know, identify with queer people, that kind of mm. um, having to reinvent yourself and also make yourself resilient sure. in relation to that kind of, that hit mask, um, white, yeah. uh, Anglo uh, conservatism that obviously you had around you when you were growing up. It must yeah. have been incredibly frustrating. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty intense, but uh, yeah, I think I think... I think, like, part of me is I'm, I'm quite... I mean, I have ADHD, but uh, I think on top of that, I'm quite spacey, and, and I think that comes from being a kid and just kind of inventing my own kind of world and uh, just kind of doing my own thing outside of all this kind of stuff I don't really identify with or things like that, I suppose. And I think, I think that helped me get through that. So, yeah, I think that's part of that. Your lyrics are very punchy. Is that because of your ADHD, do you think? Do you think there's an influence there in terms of how you, how you write? Oh, no, totally. <laughs> I mean, like... Like, I, like I only kind of got diagnosed, like, I don't know, I want to say, like, three years ago. Uh, but I remember, like, I always get reviews, and they always say I had my music sound like ADD or something, and I'm looking back at it, and I'm like, you worked it up. But, like, uh, yeah, no, totally. And it, but I also think it's, like, part of, yeah, no, no, I think no, you're totally right. But, yeah, I, I think I get, I get bored. 
with a flow, I get bored with a, a sound. So it just changes. I just make something else. Um, yeah. So what's next? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've been kind of like, I've already started a new record. I made a secret project that I put on like Spotify. I haven't told anyone about. Really? <laughs> and like, uh, but it's got, yeah, it's called like Tofu Mountains. It's on like Spotify and it was everywhere. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about it. Why uh, not? I just kind of wanted to put something out without uh, my name attached to it. And I was doing the record and I just w- was just doing all these things. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think I'm going to. I'm going to do like three albums this year, so. <laughs> so you, you're not you're not um you don't have writer's block you you're not kind of um scared of your capacity to to write clearly you know in terms yeah. of like you know your creative flows drying up you you sound yeah. pretty confident that you can do that you can produce those three albums this year that's that's extraordinary yeah, no, totally I, I think a lot of it's like, like working on like like there's a track on the album called uh, Independent which I just freestyled to like um like uh, on everything is okay. Yeah. Or on, on the tofu yeah. one? Uh, oh, no. The, everything is going to be okay. Uh, called Independent, which I, I freestyled to, like, you know, like a, a metronome. Uh, and I had, like, um, a laptop open. And it was just, like, a random word generator. And I just freestyled it. And then I just broke the song around it. And at that point, I didn't have anything, you know. I felt like I didn't have anything to say. So I just, like, said some stuff and wrote a song around it. So I, I think I've built up all these ways to, you know, get around that. You use a random word generator. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? Tell us about that. Uh, it was just like a it was just like a random website uh, that just it just throws up a word and you can you can say like every five seconds, every four seconds. Uh, so that's part of your writing process. It was for that song. Yeah. You, so you don't use it for other tracks. I haven't yet. I'd probably do it again. <laughs> Alrighty, we've got a track of yours to play. It's called Spruce Moose. Cool. Tell <laughs> us what it's about. Uh, I guess like a, it's about like me leave, leaving like Sydney, uh, which is a pretty like rough place to live as an artist. Uh, Why? Uh, to do with like like the lockout laws and like um, the police and the rent and like it's just really interesting. The rent. The rent. Yeah. What's that? Oh, like like uh, house rent. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, like it's really expensive to live there. So, like, people are really, like, anxious, like, understandably. Uh, and I, I feel like the way it feeds into the, like, creative scenes is, like, everyone's so thirsty. And, like, they got to get that that place because they got to pay their rent. So, like, uh, I, I feel like... Is that why you left? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's part of it for sure. Like, uh, it's really rough to live there. And I feel like there's heaps of really creative, amazing people there. And they're all going on the radar. And I felt like maybe I was as well. So I kind of wrote this song about it, but it's also singing from the place of like, like the words that Aphir says in the song are like about being in the good place. So it's starting in like this horrible place, not being unsure and feeling uh, unappreciated. And by the end, it's it's just like middle fingers and just like, I'm good. <laughs> well, Sydney's loss is Melbourne's gain. Oh, thank you. Uh, when and where can people see you perform? Uh, I don't really have anything booked. I, I'm playing with like uh, my friend Low Vision at some point, I think this month, but I don't have anything else booked. Like uh, email me or, or Twitter me or something. Or we'll buy a record on Bandcamp because it's yeah, wonderful. The, yeah, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> Simo Sue, thank you so much for joining me on In Your Face. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to go with your track, Spruce Moose. And uh, please have a listen to this album on Bandcamp. It is awesome. You're on 3CR.
Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their financial support of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.